Hello out there everybody and welcome to the test episode of the Canadian Jobber Podcast, the only podcast that has kicked out of the One-Winged Angel. True story, don't bother checking on that. I'm Alex and I'll be going in solo today. This is going to be just a quick episode to kind of figure out the software and the editing and, and everything like that. Uh, our The Canadian Jobber Podcast will be we're going to have weekly AEW breakdowns. We're going to go in-depth into some of wrestling's biggest stories, feuds, flops, all the stuff you love talking about with your friends and probably not with women. I first got into wrestling, I think as most people do, uh, in uh, uh, probably, I was probably around 11 or 12. Um, started watching, you know, WWE, Raw and SmackDown uh, and... I think like most people, you know, I loved it at the time, but like most people, you get older and you get junior high and high school, you, you kind of fall out of it. It's not really cool to be into pro wrestling anymore. So there was a gap there where I, did, I wasn't really watching anything at all. And then about five, six years ago, uh, my uh, cousin and uh, co-host Zach uh, called me over and said, hey, me and, my, me and a buddy are going to watch Progress Wrestling. And I'm like, that sounds dumb. I don't want to do that. But I had nothing better to do. So I went over and it was actually Progress Wrestling's Hello Wembley show, which if you've never seen it was kind of their, it wasn't really their WrestleMania, but it was the first show they did in like an arena. This is, you know, this is in a UK indie wrestling promotion. So most of their shows are held in ballrooms and gymnasiums and stuff like that. Um, the Hello Wembley show, I think if I remember right, the, uh, attendance was almost 5,000 people, which was incredible for them. Uh, and I sat there watching and, you know, with this being their big payoff show, I knew basically nobody on the card. Uh, but I was, I was hooked. Like I rediscovered my love for wrestling watching that. Uh, I have a special place in my heart now for UK wrestling, um, some of my favorite guys have come out of there, Trent Seven, Tyler Bate, Kip Sabian. Uh, it was, it was really great to get into that. Uh, and then after that, after pro getting into progress, I jumped head first into basically everything else. I started watching NXT again. I started lo looking at old matches I used to watch when I was a kid. Uh, and so me and, uh, me and my friends decided, you know what? We talk about wrestling all the time. Maybe somebody else wants to talk about wrestling with us or wants to listen to three white guys talk about wrestling. Uh, so, like I said, this is going to be a test episode, just a quick story today. Uh, so please comment and give your feedback on the show uh, if this ever even gets published. Hopefully it does. Wink, wink. Um, so we'll just get right into it today. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, really a strange time in pro wrestling, uh, but especially in the WWE. Uh, we're going to talk about Ruthless Aggression. Nailed it. So the Ruthless Aggression era kind of started in the early 2000s. Uh, and it ended, you could say, around 2008, 2009, depending on who you ask. Um, the Ruthless Aggression era produced some of WWE's biggest stars. Randy Orton, uh, Eddie Guerrero, Batista, Brock Lesnar, and I, of course the guy that most people uh, equate to being the face of the Ruthless Aggression era, uh, John Cena. Um, it, was, uh, it was a time of transition and innovation that did adamant that, yeah, excuse me, that did adamantly, that did, ad 
It was a time of transition and innovation that admittedly spit out its fair share of cringeworthy moments. Uh, the first one that pops to mind is the Kurt Angle and Booker T feud on SmackDown from, I believe, around 2005. Uh, that, I mean, if you, if you haven't seen it, it there's some uncomfortable moments. Some, uh, some writing that maybe guys looking back were like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have put that on the air. Uh, but at the end of the day, you can't argue with the unrivaled star power that the Ruthless Aggression Era produced. Uh, however, before you can talk about the roller coaster that was Ruthless Aggression, you have to know what caused it. And uh, that's what today's uh, little mini episode is going to be about. It's going to be what caused the, the, what led up to Ruthless Aggression. Um, and uh, what caused Ruthless Aggression uh, and the whole overhaul of the WWF turning into the WWE was essentially, to no one's surprise, Vince McMahon trying to take over the world. So in the 90s, you had the Monday Night Wars, probably the most polarizing and lucrative times in the history of pro wrestling. On one side, you had billionaire media mogul Ted Turner and world championship wrestling, WCW. And on the other side, you had the industry veteran and chairman of the inevitably victorious WWF, Vincent Kennedy McMahon. This unprecedented ratings war led to an entire generation of wrestling legends. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, the NWO, Sting, Goldberg. So many names that are just household figures at this point. Fans were mostly split though. Like you, It was like I said, it was very polarizing. So you had... A lot of fans were, you were either on the side of the tried and true w, uh, WWF or you were on the side of the quickly rising stars of WCW. Um, we won't get too far into the Attitude Era uh, just because that deserves a, a uh, episode all on its own. But it cemented a notion that business have long, businesses have long utilized. Competition creates cash. I mean... The con like it's it's hard to under you can't really understate the the competition between WCW and WWF. Every week it was they were posting the ratings between the two shows. It's it's kind of like the Wednesday Night Wars now between WWE and AEW, but take that and you know double it, triple it. It was nuts. There were you had uh, uh, WCW what they would actually do, and I thought this was I I always thought this was hilarious was. Because WCW was a live show, uh, and WWF at the time, Monday Night Raw, was pre-taped, uh, WCW would actually put, like, put on their show, they'd, they'd post on their show the results from Monday Night Raw. And they would say, oh, you don't need to tune into Monday Night Raw. Here, we have all, of the, all, all the results for you right here. Why do you even need to watch it? Stick right here on WCW. It was, it, it was an absolutely crazy time. However, like all battles fought, uh, there has to be a winner. And despite WCW signing some of WWF's biggest stars, i.e. Hulk Hogan, Razor Ramon, Diesel, Bret the Hitman Hart, the company began imploding on itself. With talent having essentially carte blanche creatively, there was no real leadership in the WCW locker room. As the immensely powerful NWO, you know, started by... Hulk Hogan, Razor Ramon, uh, the, going by Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, formerly Diesel in WWF, 
as they kind of took over, it began to push aside wrestlers who weren't quote unquote in the group. Uh, and that created a lot of animosity and that animosity started to carry over onto TV. This eventually led to the fall of WCW on Turner Network Television and opened the door for someone to take advantage. And that someone would be, surprise, surprise, Vince McMahon. On, it, on the March 26, 2001 simulcast of Monday Night Raw and the final episode of WCW Monday Nitro, Vince McMahon announced that he had bought his competition finally putting an end to the Monday Night Wars. However, Vince isn't one to let an opportunity pass him by. Instead of shutting the doors on his former adversary permanently, he decided there was a lot more potential in refueling the rivalry between the two companies. On the same Monday Night Raw, in another announcement that would go down in pro wrestling and TV history, while WCW had indeed been purchased by the McMahons, it was actually Vince's son, Shane McMahon, who had essentially taken the company out from under Vince and would be taking over the helm of WCW. And with that came the promise that WCW was in fact not dead, it was alive and well, and we're going to have ourselves yet another war. I mean, the goal here was obviously to continue the uber lucrative battle between the shows, but this time with WWF in full control. And why not? At the time, the fans were ecstatic for this new leg of the Monday Night Wars. They salivated at the prospect of all their dream matches from the last decade coming true. Would you finally get Sting versus Undertaker? Would you get Hogan versus Austin? DX versus NWO? The possibilities were endless for diehard fans who lapped up every second of the Attitude Era. However, as the WCW invasion began... WWF ran into a major problem right from the start. No Hogan, no Kevin Nash, no Scott Hall, almost none of the headlining stars of WCW. See, one of the missteps that we didn't mention on Ted Turner's side of the trench was that he did indeed sign many of Vince's top guys, but those contracts were guaranteed through the network that they were on meaning that the talent didn't actually have to wrestle to get paid. And being a businessman first, Vince refused to acquire those contracts, which made sense at the time. Why pay a bunch of wrestlers top dollar to sit at home? And, you know, to be honest, there's probably still a lot of animosity left over from those guys jumping ship to WCW in the first place. So, like I said, all these guys that drew the fans to WCW were gone for now, and the fans were unsure if they would ever be back. Not, not a great start, obviously. Uh, fans didn't care about Buff Bagwell or Lance Storm because it wasn't Goldberg. There was, there was, of course, you know, you, you had the yeah, WCW definitely like they had stars that came in. You had the current WCW champion Booker T, but WWF fans didn't want him either. Like I said, they wanted those big guys. They wanted. The Hulkster, they wanted Sting. Uh, Booker T is a fantastic competitor and all and com all around entertaining, but he was a WCW guy. And as we know, WWF, WWE likes to make stars, not acquire them. Uh, it didn't. It also didn't help that 
basically the entire invasion angle was served served basically as the backdrop to the ongoing McMahon family feud. It really wasn't about the wrestlers anyway. Uh, WCW had no pay-per-views, no story building, and almost no airtime. The end result was disastrous, to say the least. What this also left in the locker rooms, uh, in the stands, and in the front office was one question. What now? The WWF had now double the roster and only so much airtime. A lot of wrestlers back then say that screen time essentially became currency, and as we know with, with anything that's currency, it caused tension. Then in 2002, there came a huge shift in the WWF. The company was going to split the roster and provide a second show, WWF SmackDown. And that is where we will end this quick little mini-series this mini episode and we'll get back into it hopefully on regular episodes of the Canadian Jobber podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, quick little introduction to the show and like I said uh, comments feedback please go ahead and leave them on uh, on Anchor um, and uh, I hope that we can get back out for regular shows uh, starting pretty quick here. So thank you for listening and have a good one guys.